Well, hey, it's so good to see you guys here this morning. I'm excited uh, to kick off this series, Made for Purpose. Um, whether you have uh, been here for years and years or even decades, uh, or this is your first time with us this morning, or you're somewhere in between, God loves you passionately and deeply. You're His creation, and you bear His fingerprints. And you are not in this place this morning at this time by accident. So I'm grateful that you are here. We're going to begin this series at the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and make your way there. You can follow along on your device or just follow on the screen. We'll get there in a few minutes. But I, I wanted to, to say this starting out. Um, if you were here last week, we watched uh, a clip from the 2015 movie, The Intern, that stars Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway. And for those of you that weren't, the background of this movie, uh, De Niro plays a retiree and a widower. So he's had a, a long, fruitful career. He's retired. Uh, his wife has passed away, and he's, he's traveled, and he's read books, and he's hung out at the coffee houses, and he goes to see his grandkids. But it's just not enough, right? He's still healthy. He's still got drive. He wants to contribute and matter. So he fills out a video application for a thriving young company that's a fashion, an online fashion company, really founded and led and almost entirely employed by millennials. Uh, after they see his video application, they're searching for, for senior interns, senior adult interns, to, to give their time and their experience and their value and their insight into this company as it's growing. They bring him in for a series of interviews. And I, wanna, I want us to watch this clip together this morning, and this will be the last clip I have to share with you because I'm not creative enough to come up with them very often. But I do want us to finish, in a sense, what we started last week with the intern. So let's watch this clip together. All right, so, so what, what makes a, a well-dressed man, still healthy, still intelligent, want to go into, uh, into a business populated and run uh, by people 40 and 50 years uh, his junior? He's, <laughs> he's hungry still for significance, to do something that matters, to wake up in the morning and have a place to go and something to do. It's a wonderful movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. The back and forth, the relationship uh, between him and the other uh, younger interns that, that get these intern positions are just really great. They're really great. There's a scene where um, one of them says, so I don't understand, you shave every day. And he said, yes. They said, every day, every, every day, even on the weekends. Yes, on the weekends I shave. Even when you're not going out, yes, I shave. They can't get their mind uh, around it. And so it's so much fun. He, he grows and flourishes in ways, and, and the team and the company grows and flourishes in ways because he is there. Part of, part of what this gets at is the reality that there are a certain set of questions that always plague us as human beings and have as far back as we have record, uh, even when it comes to, to images and designs rather than an alphabet, in the human race and human condition. Psychologists tell us of at least five that tend to be central to who we are as people. Where did I come from? And not mom or dad, but in, on the bigger scope of things. 
Why am I here? What is the meaning of my life? What am I supposed to be doing? How can I live a full life? The common thread woven throughout all these questions is purpose. They're all questions of purpose. That's why we come to this series. And particularly now, I mentioned it to you the last few weeks coming out of mostly COVID, kind of slightly back in now and hopefully coming out back in again. But as there's been this great realigning and reordering of so much of our world, and in a sense, the, the rug of our feeling of control has been pulled out from under us, one of the things that people report again and again and again as a central struggle in their life, again, is this issue a purpose, a vocation, of meaning, of why we're here and what we need to be doing. And we're living longer across the scope, especially in the West, than human beings have ever lived. And so we're having to answer the question not just kind of for the first act or even the second act of life, but for the third act. For many are getting years or even a couple of decades or more life than we ever got before. What is our purpose? What are we doing here? What does God have for us? And as we look at answering that in specific ways throughout these four weeks together, I want to start this morning, as I said, and go back to Genesis chapter 1. Because the next three weeks will mirror and come out of God's original intent for human beings specifically. So what we want to do is to take a 30,000 foot run this morning and say all of us, all of us are made for the purpose that we're going to talk about this morning, regardless of age, regardless of marital status, regardless of whether you have children or not, regardless of whether you are a Christian or not, regardless of your level of education, regardless of how much is in your bank account or how much used to be there or how much you wish would be there at some point in the future. This is all of us. Let's look at what for some of you will be a very familiar passage. Genesis chapter 1 beginning in verse 26. Now, before I read this, Genesis blows onto the scene of human history with power. Genesis chapter 1, 1 is one of the most shattering things ever to be written. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The writer of Genesis declares that there is a sovereign, omnipotent God who is both transcendent and near enough, who by the very power of his word, as we see rolled out throughout the rest of Genesis 1, created everything that is in existence. So that nothing that has been created is to be worshipped or praised, but only the one who brought all life and all creation from nothing by the power of his word. This one God. And then the writer of Genesis gets specific as God stirs in him to detail a bit about the creation of human beings. Let's pick up verse 26. We'll just read three verses. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This beautiful poetic picture of the creator God intimately at work in the design of human beings is powerful. Often we get so familiar with it, we lose the sense of power that goes along with it. But I want us to to look at this, and I just want to pull out a few observations here. The first being this, that human beings are made intentionally, right? Human beings are made intentionally. One of the things that Old Testament scholars will note about the rhythm of the creation narrative in Genesis along with ancient literature of that time. I think sometimes we forget that Moses wasn't secretly present with God as he was creating instantaneously, right? We see this as one long tweet, and it's not. It's centuries and centuries later that the Spirit of God stirs in the people of God and in Moses to begin writing a narrative of creation that would push back against and counter the other creation narratives that existed in this day. But part of what people in Moses' day would have seen, and in the day when Genesis was composed, is this six steps and rest as a typical picture of temple creation. Now stay with me just for a minute. Temple being this place where heaven and earth meet, right? Hebrews weren't the only people, the later Jews, to develop a temple. There were all kinds of pagan temples all around the known world. And they had this one, two, three, one, two, three rest rhythm to how they were built. We can't go deep into that this morning. We just don't have time. But one, two, three, one, two, three rest. And the last thing to be placed in these temples whereby heaven and earth would meet was the image of the god or gods being worshipped at and around that temple. And in a sense, the writer of Genesis is saying all of creation is the temple of God. All of creation is that place that magnifies and glorifies God, whereby the people of God should pay homage to God and God alone, and God sets in his temple this this macrocosm of what the temple later in the life of Jewish people would become a microcosm of, and later the church as God fills his people with his spirit to image him again in his great creation. Part of what this is is a picture of what is to come because of what will soon be lost as humankind chooses to dance our own way and sin enters the world. But God puts his image bearers, one, two, three, four, five, six, the last thing done before rest is that the the image bearers of the God to be worshipped are placed in the temple, in his creation. Human beings are made intentionally. And if you look at chapter 2 and read on, you see more specifically how intimately involved God was with the creation of human beings, his image barriers. David Allen 
Hubbard, an Old Testament scholar, says, Being in God's image, man and woman, are to rule the world in God's name. Don't miss that. Men and women are to rule God's world in God's name. This is what is so tragic and so intrinsically wrong when we see power misused and abused. That's why Christians are always pushing for justice, real, true, life-giving justice, not simply what has been put out there as justice in our culture. Let's go on with Hubbard's quote. Inherent in this command to rule in God's stead is the God-given capacity to know, worship, and enjoy God the Creator. To know, worship, and enjoy God the Creator. There's no hint in the text that this capacity is given to anything else that God created, but simply to His image bearers. There's intentionality here. Craig Bartholomew, in a great book called The Drama of Scripture, says we are God's royal stewards. Think about that phrase for a minute. You are God's royal stewards. Put here to develop the hidden potential in God's creation so that the whole of it may celebrate His Glory. This is why we need Christians in all domains of life, all sectors of society, because God's creative work was, in a sense, intentionally left incomplete so that human beings might, in God's image and in His name and for His glory, continue to participate in and cultivate and work out the created beauty that God has given us. Human beings are made intentionally, made in His image. But we're made distinctively as well, all right? We see this. Human beings aren't just made intentionally. We're made distinctively, and distinctively in God's image as male and female. Part of the sadness of uh, the, the absolute chaotic discussion and literature, and commentary, and instruction, and modeling, and indoctrination around the idea of human sexuality and gender in our society is the fact that what we believe as Christians is God has in love created two and only two distinct genders. So that when in the brokenness and fractured nature of sin, someone is struggling, truly. They're feeling one way, but their biology, their DNA, reveals that they're another way. And there's confusion, and there's competing voices around them. And there are narratives in their past that have fed into this. We don't know our story well enough and haven't experienced enough transformation by the Holy Spirit that we don't see these people as enemies but as individuals made in the image of God who need to hear from God's people that God loves them they are not an accident and that in time the truth of Christ has the same potential to set them free of whatever they wrestle with 
just like it does us. But humans don't thrive by having whatever we feel and whatever we think condoned. Nor do we thrive, nor does Uh, Nor do people thrive who are struggling with areas by receiving condemnation, ridicule, and humiliation from those who claim the name of Christ. So I think understanding our story and understanding God's revealed will in Scripture really helps us. It really helps us. God is intentionally involved in the creation of human beings so that no one can say, I'm here by accident. doesn't matter if you were kind of an oopsie-daisy for your parents. Because let me tell you something, we can choose to make love, but we cannot choose to make life. God alone does that. God alone does that. That's why we have no right to terminate life. Life is sacred. Life belongs to God. Human beings are made intentionally, they're made distinctively, and we are made with kingdom purpose. We're made with kingdom purpose in a way that we get no hint of again in the text that any of the rest of God's created order shares. Made with kingdom purpose. We already hinted at this, but this is part of what it means to be made in God's image. In a sense, all that God creates here is revealing kingdom. And the world in which Genesis was produced and initially given and read would have definitely understood that. Because rulers and kings reigned over kingdoms. And what the writer of Genesis is saying is that the entire world, all that is, is God's kingdom. And whatever it may look like, he does indeed rule and reign over it. It belongs to him. We belong to him. You belong to him. Everything that you believe you own belongs to God. It's all his. Again, Craig Bartholomew says about this idea of kingdom purpose in our lives so well this. God himself is revealed or imaged in his creation precisely as we are busy within the creation developing its hidden potentials in agriculture, art, music, commerce, politics, scholarship, family life, church, leisure, and so on in ways that honor God. We bear his name. We bear his image. And as image bearers, as royal stewards, we are to be about the business generally that God lays out here. He created us, verse 27 says, in his own image. That means many things. It's complex. That's part of why we're so built for relationship. Because God has always existed as a triune reality, Father, Son, and Spirit. In glorious relationship one to another, mutually submitting and mutually glorifying one another. Part of being made in His image means we're not supposed to be alone. That's part of the pain of the man and why woman is created, but it speaks to more than a marriage relationship. It speaks to the human condition. Part of why all new members coming into membership here know that they're making a commitment to be actively involved in some form of small group, and we'll be checking in on that, especially if a a couple of semesters go by and they're just attending, is because we're made for relationship, and, and this isn't it. 
This is part of what the church is called to do, and it has its place. But if you're a member, if you're a regular attender here, you need to be in some kind of group. Find yourself a Sunday school class. Join the growth group on Wednesday night. Come to one of the classes offered in LM Institute. You've got to find somewhere to be at a smaller level. You're made in the image of God, and that means relationship. It also means creative kingdom-focused work and labor. Do you notice here at the, at the very beginning, we miss the fact that God's at, he's working here. This is a creative God at labor, building and creating. That's the account we see. So whatever domain of life you're in, part of why you're there is to fulfill the potential of that domain of society, be it government or law or education or family. Whatever it is, whatever it is, is to fulfill the God-given potential of that domain of society, to bring a kingdom focus in there to your work and to see it as God might see it. Jesus said in, in John chapter 5, verse 17, I believe, it's not up on the screen, but um, when he was talking to disciples, he said, my father is working until now. He was saying, God didn't just spin the world like a top and let it go. Deists are absolutely wrong. God is still intimately involved in the work and the affairs of his created order. You ever wondered why it bothers you so much to see something or someone with such great potential and yet it's being deeply unfulfilled? I mean, why do we care? We do care. Or when you know the function and purpose of something and it is not functioning that way, it's not living out its purpose a little tiny sliver of an example of this. Jake and I uh, went Monday night this last week and met with a former staff member here, Derek Fielder. Uh, we met for dinner at Taco Mac uh, right up the road here in, in uh, Marietta. Rockworth. I get confused, honestly, wh what city things are in. Um, I remember talking with some of the search team, and, and I think it might have been Judy Hawley who was just trying to help us find a house when we got here. And I was like, but where is that located? She said, sweetie, that doesn't matter. It is, don't worry about what town it's in. Those things come and go. But anyway, the, the one up here on Dallas Highway or whatever highway it is when it gets there. So we go there. Um, we go in, we sit down to eat, and the server comes over. And she, you could just see that she doesn't want to come. So she comes over and she says, hi, I'm so sorry. We, um, we don't have enough staff. We don't have enough people working. We don't have enough people in the kitchen. So we only, we're only offering five things tonight. And I, I was like, you messing with me? No, I wish I were. We're only offering five things. I said, okay, what, what are your five things? She said, uh, um, cheese sticks, what are they? Mozzarella sticks. They're cheese sticks at lower class places. Um, mozzarella sticks. I said, oh, you mean legitimately five individual items, not like five entrees. She said, no, sir, just five items. I said, all right, you know, I don't want to go all American there, so give it to us. What do you have? And she's like, mozzarella sticks, bone-in wings, boneless wings, fries and uh like house vegetables so all right so we ordered and went on our way but that's that's been so funny because that's such an unusual thing you don't go into a restaurant with a large menu in this country and then say we have five things but you know what it does it makes ordering very easy <laughs> but i will say on that night taco mac was not fulfilling its full potential taco mac was not being what taco mac is called to be but we still had a good time so to speak 
Made in God's image. We're made to work and be and to live and do with purpose, with kingdom purpose, right? So whether you're teaching uh, elementary school or you are a plumber or you're a welder or you're involved in the justice system or law enforcement or you're caring for dirty hineys at home or you're, whatever it is you're doing, you're bringing a kingdom focus to that. And you're saying, because God is the creator of all and he is the ruler of all, this domain belongs to him. Now, how do I operate in it in a way that helps it become all that God has intended for it to be, even though it is currently marred by sin? And this connection between image and purpose and creation is strong throughout Scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. The first is Psalm 8. Listen to the connection here between image and purpose and creation in Psalm chapter 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How many of you just had a song pop in your mind? A little tune there. Yeah, church kids, <laughs> this, is, this is how we know it. I will not sing it. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. Don't miss that. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold among your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Do you hear that interconnectionality between purpose, image, and creation? We are God's royal stewards, His royal ambassadors. When you take care of your lawn and when you prune bushes and when you care for flowers and when you care for sick animals, as well as when you care for human beings and you lean into your vocation of business or medicine or education or whatever it is, you are imaging God. You are functioning as an understeward of the creator, ruler, and reigner of all that is. I don't know if you can be a reigner, but the creator, ruler, and one that reigns over all that is. And God is going to reclaim his good creation. It's not accidental that God gave us physical bodies. God is the God of our physical bodies. God is the God of his physical creation. And one day in Christ, he will make all things new, right? Your glorification and your final state will happen when? If you die prior to the second coming of Christ, the New Testament says you will be with Christ, in Christ. Wherever Christ is, whatever that means, the New Testament is fairly ambiguous on that and almost silent. But you will be with Christ. And one day, you will return and the resurrection of our bodies will take place. For their glorification so that they may no longer be subject to death and decay through sin. Let's look at Romans 
chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. I consider, the Apostle Paul's writing here, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. In other words, the creation is eagerly waiting for the glorification, the full and final redemption and triumphant reign of Christ and the people of Christ. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. I just say that to say all the way through Romans 8, and the end of Revelation is not us going up to God, it's God coming down to us as we see in Genesis, God with the first human beings walking in the shade of the day. This temple exists where heaven and earth meet, and all is finally as it should be. God doesn't give up on the work that he started in Genesis chapter 1. So let me give you a statement here. Well, before I, I, I do that, I want to say this. Um, you, s- you see glimmers of this just in human lives, our need for purpose and the fact that we're designed to be contributors in what's going on. In kids when they're very, very little, right? Now they grow out of that as they, they become more and more defined by original sin, right? They become teenagers at some point. And they've lost that glimmer of God's glory and image that was there when they're so little, um, even though they're sinful at that age. But, we, you know, we have this spread right now, most of you know. So we've got three-year-olds, and then we've got a, just barely three, and then we've got a 12, a 14, and a 16-year-old. So we see it across the spectrum. Uh, our little ones, our twins, are still super excited when we take the trash out, right? Some of you remember that. I help, Daddy, I help, I help. And they run and they want to walk by, they think they're carrying it, right? You say, let's put it in the dumpster. And you throw it up there and they say, I did it. There's something in that little image bearer of God that knows he or she is made to contribute. He or she is made to work in good ways. This is God's creation and his image bearers glorifying him before they even know it, speaking to the truth of who he is. Now, let me give you a statement. It's a little bit long, so we're going to leave it up here for a minute if any of you want to write it down. But I think it's a solid statement on generally why you exist, on your purpose. This is the place where you start, where you say on your worst day you can know and trust this. You exist. You exist to be an image bearer of God. In relationship with God, bringing God's good rule and reign into every, into every domain of God's creation to the glory and praise of God. Church, that's why we exist. If you're in here this morning and you know you're not a Christian, I will just tell you. With all humidity, humidity, (laughs) humility, that was a Freudian slip. With all humility, 
Brother or sister, this is why you exist as well. You're just still standing outside of that relationship with God. So your ability to lean into this and to pursue why you were created is marred and distorted because of the separation that sin causes between you and God. But this is why you were created, to be an image bearer of God in relationship with God, bringing God's good rule and reign into every domain of God's creation for the glory of God and praise of God. And I would add in God alone. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at how this works its way out in major sections of our lives. We're going to look at kingdom-focused ministry in the church, kingdom-focused vocation in the world, and kingdom-focused generosity in all of life. Kingdom-focused ministry or service in the church. Kingdom-focused vocation in the world. And kingdom-focused generosity in all of life. This is why we were made. This is why you were made. This is your purpose in Christ. St. Augustine once said this, it's become well-known and deeply beloved in the life of the church. And as the band makes their way back up here and begins to uh, get set up to lead us just in a response time of worship to lift our hearts to God, to get our, give ourselves to God, to thank God for making you with the gifts and the abilities and the passions that you have, in placing you in the domains of life where he's placed you, whether you're currently working or you're retired or maybe you stay at home with the kids, whether you're married or single, wherever you are in life, to thank God that he's made you intentionally, that he's made you, created you distinctively, and that he's made you with kingdom purpose. Because some days, let's just be honest, it doesn't feel like it, does it? Feels like God's moved on to bless everyone else around you and everyone with a social media account. But he's forgotten you. That stuff's not real. They look as ugly in the morning as everybody else does. I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, St. Augustine said this. We are made for God. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. Can I just say with honesty and candor this morning, some of you in this room are restless. And you're going to remain restless. Whether or not you've surrendered your life to Christ because you've yet to get to that place in your walk with Him where you fully surrender yourself to the Lordship of Christ across all aspects of your life and say, wherever I am, whatever it is that's going on, God, you are good. You are right and you are just. And I look to you for my rest. I look to you for my satisfaction. I look to you for my purpose and my joy. That's my challenge to you this morning. Let's stand and pray.